But I've had the privilege of spending a lot of time with Davis on the phone as we uh, share thoughts. And, uh, you know, when I was doing that uh, series on the sincerity of faith, I consistently think about Davis Ashley. And Davis is a genuine man, and he doesn't put on any airs. He's kind, he's gentle, he's deeply concerned about souls. He desires to be better. He's committed and resolved to making the changes necessary in his life. He's willing to ask brothers, good brothers, trusted brothers, for help. He's willing to be humble. He's willing to take chances in doing the right thing. He's a powerful preacher because he invests huge amounts of time each day studying and then working to develop the, the message. And every single message that he's ever preached here or at men's camp here has always been phenomenal. And I don't imagine that it's going to be lesser than that, but it's always consistently been greater than the time before. Really love and appreciate you. And you're a great man to be in service with. Love you. Okay, great. Um, well, if you leave this coffee up here, this might be wrong. Okay, no, I'm I'm having I need it. Thank you, sir. There you go. Appreciate it. Okay. Well, hey, everybody. Good evening. It's really good to see you, Davis. Wow, it's been a long time since I uh, had the chance to come up to Sky Camp. It's great to be up here. Got a lot of good memories from. Years past when we've had the chance to come up here, and I see uh, just many, many familiar faces from over the years, and it's just awesome to be back in Oregon and to be able to see everybody. Scott, can I walk around, or do I need to yeah. stay in front of the camera? Wow. He does have the camera. You can do whatever you want to do, man. Okay, okay. So, so I am super excited to be here tonight. That last message that Bill preached was awesome, and it got me really fired up because it, it dovetails perfectly into what he's asked me to speak about. I love Bill. He is, that was quite an introduction that you gave. Bill is a man of great integrity and he is a guy full of wisdom. He sends out these pretty regular, if not daily, texts on Proverbs that have just really kept me going and encouraged and I've read those and studied those with my family and just so very thankful for the thought and the care and the intent purpose that Bill puts into lining out the, the messages for family camp and what he preaches on and what he talks about. I'm just listening and I'm just eating it up and it's really encouraging to me because this family camp is so powerful and so timely and I'm so thankful for this message. I want to start off, let's go to, John, uh, to uh, Genesis chapter 3 by talking about the first question in the whole Bible. And I think it's so important. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. And I'm actually going to start off with the words of the devil. Okay, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the servant was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Has God said? So basically the very first question in the whole Bible was, Did God really say? I think that that is super important for us to understand as we jump into what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the fact that the Lord says 
Those who trust in the Lord will be like Mount Zion. He, he surrounds his people. He protects his people. He provides for his people. He empowers his people. He cares about his people. But if you're going to be one of the people that that's talking about, you have to take him at his word and not go beyond and have worldly expectations of God's protection. Amen. You need to understand the spiritual framework with which God is protecting us and empowering us and providing for us, or else you're going to be disappointed like everybody else in the world because you'll be thinking in terms of physical terms. Yes. So, let's, before I get a little carried away here, let's open up with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I am so very thankful to be able to be amongst such heroes of, of the faith. I'm so encouraged. Great men and women, boys and girls who love you with all of their heart and they seek your face. They want to see you face to face, and it's a huge inspiration to me. And this body of, of Christ here has just helped me grow so much throughout the years, and I, I can't even fathom where I would be without them. It's a great honor and a great joy to be here and to serve them this weekend. I ask your blessing upon my message. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, Phil Sutton, I love Phil Sutton. Raise your hand if you happen to know Phil Sutton from uh, Montana now, Bozeman. He challenged me. He's like, hey, you should check out a song by a, a gal named Lynn Anderson, which I actually did. I YouTube did. It was a clip from a 1973 performance she had done, and it was, uh, I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden. Now, I, I only watched it once, so I can't sing it, but um, it was actually pretty, you know, pretty funny tune, as you would expect from the 70s. And, um, so she said, I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden. Very important. You know, let's hold God to what he promised us and not have the disappointment experienced by people who are disillusioned. Oh, God has failed me too. I heard this recently. God's failed me two major times in my life. Well, the reality is, is that the times that he has failed said person, were they in accordance with his word or not? Yes. So, I don't have the right to put the words to put words in God's mouth, and neither do you. You know, from Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the serpent twisted and contradicted God's word. This is just my opening, because I'm going to jump over to Psalm 125. The serpent twisted and contradicted God's word. Eve subtracted from and added to God's word. And Adam, check this out, knew but disobeyed. God's word. There's a three-point sermon right there, but that's actually not the point. Let's jump over to Matthew chapter 22, verse 29. Just to make sure this point comes home, Matthew chapter 22, verse 29 says this, Matthew chapter 22, verse 29, but Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken. Not understanding the scriptures or the power of God. Of course, he's talking about the resurrection and whose wife will the man or whose husband will the wife have. Um, you know, and so I think you guys know the resurrection and neither married nor given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. The point is, is that, hey, just because you read the word doesn't mean you understand it. Just because you read the word and you're God's people doesn't mean you comprehend the spiritual message that's being communicated. So I think this weekend is a great weekend to come back to, has God really said? What has God said? Let's find out. Let's find out in the context of trust. Yes. 
I'm on board. Man, I'm super excited about this weekend. So, you know, there is a temptation to trust in the wrong things for protection and for providence and for empowerment. Even a God, a well-meaning, but a God of our own imagination. A God that's actually not the God of the Bible. It's easy to identify that when we're talking about the plan of salvation with people, right? Oh, well, you're, you believe in something that's not even in the Bible. You don't actually know the God of the Bible. You're not following the covenant of the God of the Bible. But then are we guilty of the same thing, guys, sometimes if we get disappointed or discouraged or disillusioned that God hasn't been what we thought he was supposed to be? We've got to get this right. The time is now for us to trust in the Lord according to the scripture. So, to rely on, to have confidence. You know, the challenge for those outside of Christ is the question, do you believe in God? But the challenge for those inside of Christ, do you believe God? We believe in God, but do we actually believe God? Do we believe his word? Do we read the scripture? Like, I love what Bill is saying. As if our life depends on it. Talk about putting power in Bible reading because our life does, does depend upon it. So let's go over to Psalm 125. Psalm 125. So that was my introduction here. I want to talk about let's put things in the right context for what is about to follow. Psalm 125. Okay. The Bible says here, Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest upon the land of the righteous, that the righteous may not put forth their hands to do wrong. So I was assigned this psalm. So we don't have to worry about the FEMA camps. Because God says, God's word says right here, he will protect us, right? We will never go to FEMA camps. Nothing bad will ever happen to us as his people. Raise your hand if you've ever had heartbreak, loss, car crash, physical injury, sickness, death, doubt. But doesn't God protect his people? I mean, man, what exactly is God protecting us from? If we all experience the very same things that the people of the world experience, what exactly is God protecting us from? He's protecting our mindset. He is protecting our hope and our faith. He's helping us to see that there is something going on so much bigger. God is sovereign and he has a plan and all things do work out together for good to those who, whom he loves and love him and are called according to his purpose. That is not just a nice little card to receive on uh, some sort of consolation event. It is true, and it is encouraging, and he protects your faith. I'll tell you what, there is nothing in the universe that God loves more than somebody who seeks his face and desires to see him. Go to Psalm 27. This has become one of my favorite, favorite. This is a good one for my epitaph if... Uh, if you need, uh, if you need, and there's no guarantee, I'll make it home, right? God never promised me that I would make it over this trip. Psalm 27, 
Verse 4, and verse 8, I'm, I'm going to throw in there, but verse 4, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Okay, but what I was really getting at is verse 8. Well, now to say, seek my face, my heart said to thee, thy face, O Lord, I shall seek. I seek the face of God. You seek the face of God. The Lord protects people like that. What's so special about Mount Zion anyway? I mean, flying in here, uh, it was really great to see Mount St. Helens from the plane window, Mount Hood. Uh, we got to see Mount Rainier. But, uh, I mean, Mount Hood is only 11,249 feet. How about Granite Peak in Montana, not too far from my house? It's 12,807 feet. Bigger, majestic, right, solid, immovable. Mount Everest. Why doesn't the Bible say those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Everest? 29,032 feet. Mount Everest is foreboding. It's extremely dangerous and very selective of who ascends. That seems to be pretty, pretty fitting. But it doesn't say that. Wikipedia very unceremoniously just says of Mount Zion, it's a hill in Jerusalem. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's really not much of a geographical fence or defense anymore. I mean, it was for like, you know, just a little sliver of time before helicopters and missiles and, you know, stuff like that, tanks. But now it's just, yeah, it's a hill in Jerusalem. What's so special about, about Mount Zion is not that it is geographically impregnable. It's because that's where the Lord has placed his name. It's because that's where the Lord has placed his presence. It's because that's where he has decided to dwell with his people. Now, I'm not talking physical. I'm talking spiritual. However, it does have a pretty cool physical background. It's where it's said to be the same as Mount Moriah, the place where Abraham offered Isaac. And I do, well, actually, I don't. I don't really care. Just take me, take my word for it. If you don't believe me, come see me later. I've got some pretty cool scripture here. So it was the stronghold of David. It was the city of David. That's where his, his palace was built there. It was the Temple Mount. Uh, let's go over to Isaiah chapter 8. Let's jump there here real quick. Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. And let's take a look here at verse 18. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And then also Psalm 74, verse 2. Psalm 74, verse 2 says, Remember thy congregation which thou hast purchased of old, which thou hast redeemed to be the tribe of an inheritance in Mount Zion, which thou hast, where thou hast dwelt. Like I said, it's the place where he put his name. It's the place where he's king, as Bill probably read very recently. Isaiah 24, verse 23. This is a super good one. Isaiah 24, verse 23. Then the moon will be abashed and the sun shall be ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign from Mount Zion in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. And I do want to throw this in here. And this isn't a rabbit trail. Psalm 2, Psalm chapter 2, verse 6 says, but as for me, I have installed my king upon where? Mount Zion, my holy mountain. So 
This is the seat of action for the Lord of hosts. It's another representation of the bride of his, his bride, his people. Why are the righteous compared to Mount Zion? Well, you know the answer. Go over to Hebrews chapter 12. You know, there is, a, there is a concept. You can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 46 to understand that the Lord deals in a principle, first the physical, then the spiritual. He communicates things a physical way so that we will understand the importance when he wants to communicate a more important spiritual principle. Thus, I mean, I could talk about the Old Testament physical land of Israel versus the New Testament, the spiritual Jews, the spiritual Israel, Romans 2, who the Jew, you the Jew, right? Still not from Kevin Simpson. Um, Old Testament worship, Old Testament temple, New Testament worship, New Testament temple, the church, worship in spirit and truth, it goes on. Old Testament deliverance and salvation. If you study deliverance and salvation of the nation Israel physically, you will understand better what the Lord does to deliver his people spiritually in the New Testament. So there is that concept, that principle that goes all the way through. It's the same thing with Mount Zion. My point is, is if you trust in the Lord, Mount Zion, you will be protected. You will be surrounded. You will be cherished. You will be adored. You will be cared for. Even though all this nonsense in the world happens, the external things are constantly in flux, but our internal relationship with the Lord is steady and it is at peace and it rises above the FEMA camps. Because I do believe that they want it. rises above the tragedies and the catastrophes and the heartbreaks and the pain. The Lord surrounds us with a way of thinking, a kingdom mindset that helps us to understand there is a purpose, that there is a meaning, that this is all part of God's plan, that God is sovereign. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, I wanna take a look at verses 22 and 24, 22 through 24. Hebrews 12, 22 through 24, say this. But you have come to Zion. So as in like contrast, you haven't come to Mount Sinai. You haven't come to the law, but you've actually come to the very place, the heart of the new covenant by the Spirit. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. That's us. That's the church. That's the people of God the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. We need to understand that so that we understand the favor that is bestowed upon people who trust him who believe this word, who trust and read it as if their life depended upon it, who trusted and believed his promises and did not misconstrue them to believe them in a physical way, but to understand what they were always intended to be. They were intended to be spiritual promises. 
So, like I said, he does. He does protect. I'm not saying he does protect us physically. I we prayed for protection. We traveled over here, took two flights, one from Bozeman to Seattle, then from Seattle to Eugene. Uh, we were traveling on various roads, and we would pray as a group. We pray for the Lord's protection because we're we're appealing to God. We want Him to protect us. We want. Uh, we're casting all our fears upon him because he cares for us. We're, we're anxious or worried or whatever you want to say. That's fine. He does protect us physically. He does provide for us physically. He does take care of us physically in ways that we can't even imagine. He goes before us and he is behind and he covers us. But what really gets me excited is the peace that surpasses all comprehension or knowledge when something goes down that I did not foresee something that was not congruent with my American dream vision of how things are supposed to be. <laughs> and I know it's okay. And I say, I was the one that was wrong, not God. God didn't fail me. He didn't fail in his promise. He never actually even promised anything about, as Bill said, Bill said it, as about, he did not promise that this nation would be what I want it to be, what you want it to be. He didn't promise that. It's great. I praise God and we thank him. We thank him for freedom. We thank him. But we have no right to act as if we are entitled spiritually. You owe us, God. It has to be this way because he said it was. But where? He didn't. What he's promised Providentially, he has promised to his kingdom, and his kingdom is spiritual people. He has made promises to his kingdom, the spiritual Israel. You know, the real danger that the saints face, what are the real dangers? It's actually not the FEMA camp, it's not the car crash, it's not my teenage son or daughter going off the road they're learning to drive well elliot's actually a very good driver claire 16 she's driving and i'm worried but i like what bill said i'm concerned i'm concerned for my family and that's right it's right it is right for me to have concern for my my family i'm a father and i'm i'm the head of my household and i care for my daughter i am concerned i'm concerned for you it's right to have concern and have a culture of concern and a culture of compassion yes. the lord wants us to feel bad for one another if we get hurt injured or sick or whatever we care it's a way to manifest love and compassion nothing wrong with that at all you know paul says i'm pretty sure of epaphroditus in maybe philippians you know he was sick to the point of death and he had heard you were worried about him and Everything, people, they cared about Epaphroditus, he got sick. So that being said, we ought to care when physical things go south, but yet there is a difference between concern and worry. The Lord doesn't want us to worry. Okay, you know what? If Elliot does, something happens to him, to or from work, or to and from, just how, as he's buzzing around his life, man, what right do I have to say to God, God, you failed me? You promised he wouldn't. You promised nothing would happen. He never promised me that. At all. It's not like, I tell this to the kids that I have the blessing of teaching, 
It isn't like God's a quarterback and he says hike and he snaps the ball when he's going back and he's calling a play on the fly and the devil might sack him. The devil might sack the quarterback. God might get a pass off. It might go his way. It isn't like that at all. Everything. He's got this laid out perfectly. He's got this planned out. We can trust exactly how this goes. It's according to his will overall. His purpose, his plan, all things. If I need to get sick or put in a hospital bed to meet people or my children or my wife or whatever, which has happened multiple times, if we, if that, if we need to go through that to meet people, praise the Lord. If bad things need to happen to good people so that God's kingdom can move forward, praise God. If I need to joyfully accept the seizure of my property, my guns, my cars, my house, whatever, isn't, didn't the saints joyfully accept the seizure of their property? Because the investment was, it was spiritual. Their treasure was in heaven. Though they lost their physical things, they gained the kingdom. They gained spiritual things. We very well may be able to, to experience that. I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose the, the this, actually, I, the truth is I'm getting to the point as I mature in Christ, sometimes I do kind of want to. Just to be unburdened of all this junk. And the <laughs> yard sale in the sky, you know, the garage sale for Ghana that we're, we've been talking about for like 20 years, it never happens. So we just accumulate all this stuff. I want to be free from it, brethren. How blessed really truly is somebody when, they, when they're face to face, it's so clear. Matters of life and death and eternity. How blessed to live that way. I want to live that way. And I know that in order to live that way and to think that way, bad things ha need to ha happen to good people. Scary. I want to see as God sees. It's my constant prayer. The Lord, Lord, help us to see the way that you see. Help us to have your perspective. The real danger that the saint faces is idolatry. It's anything that would cause a lack of faith. It's discouragement, disillusionment, doubt, false hope, deceit, ignorance, error, falsehood. Those are the things we really should be concerned about. It's not inflation. It's not masks. I know very inconvenient, etc. It's not, it's not any of those things. It's not about any of that stuff at all. Again, he protects our soul. We, we know, let's go over to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and we'll take a look here. John chapter 6 and verse 37. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. That verse alone is enough to let you go to sleep in peace and safety. Amen. <coughs> For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Servant's heart. Just like Bill, Bill was talking about. So to be a servant. And this is the will of him who sent me. This is God's will that he would not lose. He would lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father. Ah, what's the Lord's will in my life? What's the Lord's will in your life? Well, guess what? Here's the Lord's will in your life, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. That's the Lord's will for your life. What college should I go to? Who should I marry? All the stuff, what's I'm seeking the Lord's will? The Lord's will is that you be raised up with him on the last day. 
That's all that matters. That's all that matters. And he grants us free will to choose how we get from point A to point B, but ultimately point B is the only thing that matters. And we got to trust God that he knows what he's doing. And we got to trust God that if we do things his way, and our conscience remains clean, we have a love from a pure heart, a clean conscience, a sincere faith, the rest is, well, I was going to say the cherry on the top, but actually the rest might be just a major distraction. Blessed are those who are face-to-face -face with what the truth really is. Blessed are those who are face-to-face -face with their own limited time and mortality. I mean, I speak word eternal, right? But still, blessed are those who are mindful of how short their time really is. Blessed are those who trust God and take him at his word and believe the real promises that he has that he's offered to his people. You know, John 10, let's jump over here. John John 10, verse 22. 10, 22. Um, well, I guess down to verse 27 here. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. That, that snatching is take by force, it's carried away. It's as if you were, you're spoiled, a prize, by robbery. Did you know the only one that can cause you to drift away from God is you? That's incredibly power, powerful and empowering. Because if we're absorbed... If the Lord has surrounded us, people, he's saturated us, we are absolutely absorbed in kingdom thinking and in his word and the word of truth and the word of light. The only way that we can lose our prize is to give up, to be deceived, to, to love the world more than we love the kingdom. I mean, it's, wow, talk about security, talk about safety. No one can mess this up for me. No one can mess this up for you. But you can be deceived, and sin is deceitful, right? I mean, doesn't Hebrews talk about, you know, we should be more careful than they were, lest it drift away. I always think of, like, losing a wedding ring. This is valuable to me. I've actually lost it a few times. I don't know. Where did it go? It just slipped off my finger. I didn't want to lose it, but I did. And, man, talk about panic, right? Oh, I get really panicked if you feel like you okay, what am I do? So the point is, is that we are, God does protect us. He does keep us safe and secure. He protects us by surrounding us. He takes people into the fold of his thinking. He's placed them into his worldview, or rather his kingdom view. It's not just we're 15% nicer than our neighbors now. <laughs> it's that everything that we think about, the way we go about doing things, our whole, the glasses we look through, it's totally different. Our mindset, our outlook, our paradigm, etc., our culture, we see things his way. And we're with a community of people who continue that culture, who continue that kingdom vision. And we've got to spend time with people who get it, who understand it. Who understand the only things that are important are the spiritual things, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. 
He's surrounding us. He's holding us close. This is an expression of his love to those who trust in him. This is a response. He loves the fact that we want to be here. And I'm talking about here, yes, but in his kingdom. That we, we are choosing with our time to get fed, to get something that's going to help reinforce that kingdom mindset. He has placed us as the apple of his eye. Let's jump back to Zechariah chapter 2. I do know this. This is Sarah's favorite passage of scripture. Zechariah chapter 2. And let's take a look here, starting at verse 6. Zechariah 2 verse 6 says, Ho there, for flee the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have dispersed you as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Zion, escape you who are living with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, after glory he has sent me against the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. That's like the sensitive part of your, that's a pupil. How do you like people poking you in the eye? You won't put up with it for very long. That's how the Lord feels about people messing with his church. So, boy, I could just go on and on about how Jerusalem is, is spirit, and it's, descri it's described physically as being so beautiful and this and that and the walls and the ramparts and the gates and everything. Imagine how the pilgrims would have felt had they, they gone up to Jerusalem for the feast. It's so blessed to be here in this physical place. And they were so grateful and so filled with joy. Now imagine that as that's transferred over to the church spiritually together as God's people. You know, again, one of the one of the things that the Lord really wants to guard us against is a misplaced trust. When people get disillusioned or disappointed, when they think God does not deliver what, what they think he's promised. So he has made Zion. Let's go back to Psalm 125 here. He has made Zion secure, unmovable. It says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth forever. The scepter of wickedness shall not rest upon the land of the righteous, that the righteous may not put forth their hands to do wrong. Now what would that, how would the Apostle Paul read that? I mean, wasn't he in danger and shipwrecked and beaten by robbers and thrown in jail and fed, had to fight the wild beasts of Ephesus? But couldn't he say, Lord, what, you must not be happy with me or I must not be part of your part of Mount Zion because you didn't protect me from all these things. No, he understood very well the reality was is that the Lord's king is installed on Mount Zion. <clears throat> the scepter of wickedness shall not rest upon the land of the righteous means there is no way that any wickedness will rule the kingdom of God. It's going to rule the world. We ought not to be surprised that crazy things are happening to different in different places of the world and in different countries and are coming soon to a country near you and getting worse. It's always been that way. I mean, the United States has only been around for like less than 300 years. That's just a drop in the bucket. I love, I really do. 
I love living in the United States. We were just talking about, in fact, I think it was Brian. Brian even brought this up today as we were walking around. He's like, you know, with all the taxes and all of the mask mandates and the, this, that, and the other thing, all the turmoil, this is still the best place in the world to live. We love our country. We like our country. We love our country. We love our kingdom. Right? So, we are not promised immunity from the trials. Even God's physical nations experienced the power and the persecution of the ungodly. Just think about Assyria and Babylon and Egypt and Persia. Egypt, Egypt's rod, Egypt is called the Iron Furnace. And it was for the sake that God's, for the purpose that God's people would learn some things, right? The iron furnace. You ever feel like you're in the iron furnace? But eventually Egypt's rod was broken. The rod of the wicked is going to come and fall upon the righteous, but it won't ever rest there in a kingdom authority and a position of authority over God's people. We're all, we are all faced with the same trials as those in the world. Bad things happen to Christians. We're not spared from those things other than do not suffer for the sake of unrighteousness, right? Let's go over to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. I mean, as I tell my class kids, if you get, if you get spanked for doing bad things at home, well, then you deserve it. But if you, let's take a look here. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give the, an account for the hope that's within you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience so that the thing in which you're slandered, that means you, you're not doing the bad thing, what you're being accused of, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Okay. So think about all the afflictions of the early church. Mr. Wilson has said, I'm pretty sure I heard this from him, but from the book of Acts, from the perspective of the Christians would be prayer and praise. We're praying, we're hopeful, we're filled with anxiety and maybe even worry and not really sure how this thing is going to unfold. Oh, praise God, it actually worked out good. We thought this was going to be the end of the church and like we're doing something wrong and we're got, we got off the beam. So prayer and praise from the people of perspective of the people, but guidance and growth from the perspective of God. I think that's a really important concept. God is causing things to be, uh, he's guiding things. Hey, Elliot, will you please fill us up a coffee for me? Thank you. He is guiding us along and he's quickly done. And he's uh, causing the church to grow. I'm running out of steam. I got it. More caffeine. Um, <laughs> so, um, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and let's take a look at 25 through 30. And keep, as we read this, please keep in mind Psalm 125 about the Lord surrounding his people. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 25 through 30 says, three times I was beaten with rods, one time I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and day I have spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, 
dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such things, external things, there's the daily pressure of me of concern for all the churches. Okay, so I'm just going to stop right there. And then here at the very end, he talks about being let down in a basket through a window in the wall when he escaped Damascus. The Lord never promised you that he would deliver you from physical troubles or trials or issues or problems. We share those same things with the people in the world and we overwhelmingly conquer because we understand that God has a plan and a purpose. And so other people, when they go through that stuff, they watch and they see, and they're like, wow, I can tell you this. I have had a much greater personal impact on people for the sake of Jesus when my wife and I have gone through difficult things, when bad things have happened <clears throat> to good people. Way more evangelistic opportunity. Right. Then when good things, when I've just been bumbling along, living the American dream, and nothing, nothing bad has happened to me. I praise God for the trials and the difficulties. Now, we all bear our own burdens. So things I go through, the challenges are going to be different than what you go through. But I'm telling you, the world is watching, and you will meet all sorts of people. If, you're, if the Lord needs to intervene and cause things to happen here in the physical realm so that you will meet people for the sake of his glory. Praise the Lord, right? Anything that is going to keep us, keep our mindset where he wants, us, wants that to be. It is like, I read this here recently, I thought it was pretty cool. He is like, he does good back in Psalm 125. He does good to those who are good. He is like a perfect, he is a harpist who keeps the harp perfectly in tune, not too loose and flabby so that the sound of the harp is marred and distorted and it doesn't really make the right sound and not too tight so that the string being, you know, breaks. If you've ever tuned a guitar too tightly, he keeps it exactly the way that he wants it to be. And he does good things to his people. He gives them truly good things, not perishable things. And see, trust is a component, a major component in all of this. You've got to have trust to have this way of thinking. You've got to have trust to have this mindset. So this is our security, and this is our stability, that we know our mission, our identity, our future, we know our purpose, we understand our origin and our destiny. We understand where morality even comes from. We see through the glasses God gave us through his word. We're into the word daily, like the Bereans. Our rewards are above the economies of man. Our treasure is guaranteed in heaven. We have the trust that he will do as he says he will do. And we accept seeing things according to his vision. So in conclusion, brethren, tonight, I just really want to challenge us to understand when we're reading the scripture, make sure that we do a understand the promises of God <clears throat> by reading them. And that we apply them <clears throat> correctly 
as meets his word. Because if we do that, the Lord will surround us. If we do that, the Lord will protect us. If we do that, the Lord will provide for us and the Lord will empower us because the Lord loves and protects his city. So trust in the Lord with what he said to trust and allow that trust to be manifested in a kingdom mindset that rises above any of the nonsense, any of the externals that go on in this world. And you'll experience a peace that surpasses all comprehension. The Lord is guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, and we are so thankful that he protects and that he loves Zion and that he surrounds his people. Thanks. Amen. Woo